Hello and welcome to another edition of Tapeheads, 80s Music and Beyond. I am Todd in Portland, Oregon. And I am Blaine down south. Where? In Phoenix. <laughs> the land of heat. Yeah, not the land of rain. No, although it did rain here last week. Oh my week. God. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for joining us today. Um, we are going to talk about today an album that I guess a lot of people, a lot of, of fans don't think too highly of it, but I love this album. Todd loves this album. Yeah. And probably because of our age, um, it is, it's, a, it's a major album in our, in our music uh, lives. Yeah, and we saw this tour. So we should tell which uh, person and which album we're talking about. That is Paul McCartney, Flowers in the Dirt. Yeah. Um, before we get going along real quick here, I wanted to, this is something we haven't done before. We didn't really introduce ourselves uh, much on this podcast. People don't even really know anything about us. <laughs> um, I'm Blaine. and Two guys with a podcast. I uh, I'm an IT professional, I guess, but I have... Listened to music since I was a kid. Um, you know, I had records and eight tracks and um, tapes, CDs, mini discs. Um, I never had a compact, digital compact cassette, but <laughs> I've been listening to music since since I was a little kid. My parents listened to popular music. So I was listening to music when I, you know, I remember my parents having um, the 45 for Band on the Run. And the flip side was 19... 85. I don't even know if you know that song, Todd. I do know that song. But, uh... Oh, but it left alive in 1985. There you go. You do know the song. Of course I know it. So I, uh, I started playing music. I Actually, I, I sang when I was a little kid. I used to sing... My grandpa played guitar, and I would sing uh, Kenny Rogers songs with my grandpa <laughs> playing guitar, Coward in the County and uh, The Gambler. Ah, uh, cool. <laughs> oh, and I played trombone for one year in sixth grade. Was it rusty? I don't usually ask people that, but was yours rusty? No. No, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so I, I started playing music, and, and Todd and I were in a band together in high school. Yep. And at some point after that, I kind of gave up guitar for a little bit, moved away from Yakima and where I had grown up, and I joined another band, and, and we played like a cover music for a long time and and in in the process i have recorded a lot of of music so i'm kind of a uh into recording music as well as doing video editing i used to work in tv for a lot a lot of years as well as uh, we talked about many times on this show i worked at a movie theater for <laughs> a couple of years and and it was during a lot of these movies that we talk about you know i worked at the movie theater what about you todd uh, yeah, I grew up listening to classical music. My dad was a percussionist in the symphony and sort of a composer, but not known for that. But he was a percussionist and he played piano and we listened to classical music when I was growing up. And then when I was about 10, I discovered a thing called the radio that had a switch and a tuner and you could listen to whatever you want. So I found rock and roll when I was about 10. I was like a whole new world. And that was in the late 70s, early 80s. But I mean, yeah, we'd listen to stuff on the radio occasionally, but my parents were not particularly hip like yours were, apparently, listening to, like, Band on the Run and stuff. Had to find that on my own later. But, uh, I mean, they had Sgt. Pepper, and they had 
Abbey Road and they had Moody Blues, I think, because there's a lot of classical elements to those. Mm-hmm. But that was about it um, as far as rock went. Um, but yeah, and then I started playing in school band, played clarinet for a long time. Then I got a guitar and it became all about the guitar. And play, then I started writing songs and playing bass and playing keyboards and playing all kinds of other things. And then I also moved away from Yakima and moved down here to Portland. And it took a little while to get established here, but then I started playing with singer-songwriters and doing recording and production. And that's when all the instrument stuff just went through the roof. And I started playing all these other weird things like glockenspiel and accordion and uh, got a drum set and all these other things. So, yeah, I think most people know me as an accordionist or a cellist these days, but I consider myself a guitarist at heart in my little heart of hearts. Cool. But yeah, I've been a professional musician for pretty much most of my life. Still am to this day. So one of the things that's kind of funny about Todd and I is, you know, we listen to to, uh, 80s music, you know, popular music as well as heavy metal and stuff, um, which we're going to talk about in a podcast here coming up. But um, what's funny is kind of when heavy metal was kind of going down and the whole grunge thing started, we both started listening to jazz fusion music, which now now we look back and, and think of how stupid that was. Yeah, we were like 21 years old and everybody else was listening to Vaughn and we're like listening to, oh man, the new Rippington's album is out. And we're running down the street in these stereos in our car with, with subwoofers and these great infinity speakers and all this kind of stuff and we're pulling up to stoplights and the person next to us is listening to Nirvana and we're listening to Crusaders and stuff. <laughs> Hilarious. Our background can be taken with a huge grain of salt and we oh, totally get it. We're not trying to be omniscient critics. We're just two guys who've listened to music for a long time and all different kinds of stuff and try to have fun talking about it. <laughs> So one of the albums that came out, and this came out in 1989, which is the year I graduated from high school. Todd had already graduated a year earlier and was probably listening to Rippingtons at that time. Not yet. 1989. (laughs) No, not yet. This album was uh, Paul McCartney, Flowers in the Dirt. And this was an album that he, and I didn't know this, he, he had a plan on going on a big worldwide tour and he hadn't done this since 1976 when he toured with the wings and if any of you guys knew this the triple album wings over america or was it wings over the world wings over america yeah wings over america um which was recorded in uh at least the the movie version of that was recorded at the kingdom and we'll talk about that in a minute but but uh Anyway, so he was going to do this this huge tour, and he decided that he wanted to do his album a little bit different because the albums he had done the last two or three, they weren't, you know, very commercially viable. He didn't want to go out on tour and not have an album that he really loved that he was trying to support. Yeah, I remember him saying something about, like, I didn't want to get stuck in the middle of nowhere pushing an album that I didn't love. Or that was going to go anywhere. So he had written some songs. Uh, he got Elvis Costello 
and they wrote a bunch of songs together. Five or six songs. I know there's some out. The song Veronica from Elvis Costello, he wrote with Paul McCartney, as well as a bunch of the songs that were going to be on this new album. Yes, Elvis's album Spike is like the sister album to Flowers in the Dirt. That's where Elvis collaborated on Paul's album and Paul collaborated on Elvis's album. And they're both, they're two sides of the same coin, really. They're both great. So uh, Paul got some producers together to do this album. And he got Trevor Horn and Steve Lipson, who worked together. Trevor Horn is very familiar to those of you who've listened to us in our previous podcasts. We've talked about him at some length already, even though we've only on five or six episodes. Yeah, I mean, the podcast we did about uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart, Trevor Horn produced that. Uh, we talked about him in, uh, about, uh, in the Band-Aid one, because he loaned his studio to Band-Aid to record their song. Partially produced it, the single. So Steve Lipson, who worked with Trevor Horn, had worked with Paul before on a Ringo album in the past when Steve Lipson was this young guy. And he was set to um, be the recording engineer for that. And he was young. They didn't really like that too much, so they got somebody else to be the engineer, and he was the assistant engineer for it. Then there was a guy named Mitchell Froome. Oh, wow. You probably know. Oh, yeah. And he was the producer for the first two Crowded House albums. And Paul really liked those albums, and I did not know that. And he he got Mitchell Froome together to produce the Elvis Costello songs that were written with Paul because he had worked with Elvis Costello in the past. That's super cool. Mitchell Froome is also touring currently with Crowded House and their incarnation of their band they're really digging deep into the catalog for all their old stuff cool yeah i i I want there's a band that i want to see i know you've seen them i have and neil finn solo uh i have not and then the fourth producer is chris hughes and he was the producer for tears for fears songs from the big chair and he actually co-wrote everybody wants to rule the world (laughs) wow (laughs) that's a good one to have on the resume so they got all these uh, they got all these up and coming producers in to uh, to do this album. And uh, do you want to talk about Elvis Costello and some of the songs that he did with Paul and, and what what went on there? Sure, sure. Uh, like we said before, Paul did Veronica with Elvis, and that ended up on Elvis's album. But on Paul's album, he did the one we are kind of focusing on today, which we haven't really mentioned. My Brave Face, which is the album's opener. He did. Uh, I Know That You Want Her Too, which is kind of a duet. Very funny, very John and Paul, very John Lennon, Paul McCartney uh, dynamic between the two of them, repartee. Um, the other one, was it Rough? No, uh, Figure of Eight. Did he do that one too? I, I don't remember, actually. Yeah, it was three or four of the ones on, on Flowers in the Dirt that Elvis and Paul wrote together. Those two are my favorites. So what about, uh, I mean, Elvis writing with Paul, how did that work? What do you mean? Well, I mean... Paul McCartney called Elvis and he said, hey, would you like to come over and write some songs? Okay. And Elvis said, oh, I don't know. I'm cooking some curry right now. Um, I'm (laughs) going to be busy until seven. I could come over after that. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
I wasn't there. <laughs> no. So what I'm talking about is Paul McCartney back in the sixties wrote with a guy. Yes, he did. A very famous guy. And when he wrote these songs with Elvis Costello, that kind of stuff came out again where Paul would write one line and then Elvis Costello would write the line that would come after it, and it would just be like this total antithesis of what Paul just said. So. All right. Yeah. I know that you want her too is full of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now it's, now I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Um, and it's funny because these songs, they're really cool. Um, the way that they wrote together, but uh, Paul and Elvis did not really get along too great. That's so weird. I didn't realize that. I mean, they wrote songs together great, but um, they, I guess they're you know they just had two different of opinions. Um, maybe in just the way they do things, Paul was maybe a little more polished, and Elvis kind of did things um, a little more. <laughs> Use your words. Elvis Costello did things a little more raw in the way he he wrote things and did things and. They just they didn't mesh together great as as people. Well, and plus, they're both well established solo people in their own right, and they hadn't worked together with co writers in a long time. I don't think did Paul. I don't think he did. He was always the one calling the shots, and so was Elvis. So I mean, it would be hard. I could see why it'd be hard to you know flip back into this other way of working when you're used to calling all the shots. Paul was you know one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yeah. So for him to come in there and do something a little bit different is probably hard and probably has a lot of yes people, producers and stuff. He probably has a hard time finding producers that don't Trevor just Horn was a yes producer. Tell him yes for everything. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That was a little joke there. Trevor Horn was a yes producer. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That was a good joke right there. So this album comes out, and like we said, it, it uh, I think it had great songs on it, but it sounds pretty dated because it was recorded right in the middle of the whole 80s thing. And 80s production, 70s production uh, has a lot of very close-miked drums. Um, everything just, it seems like a natural, natural thing. In 80s, you start getting synthesizers, drum machines, a lot of production. There's probably a bit of uh, Fairlight on there, I imagine. Oh, yeah. So 80s production can be very dated. And there's a lot of albums that are dated from 80s that sound dated. This is kind of one of them. I watch a lot of YouTube stuff from people who are like record collectors or Beatles fans and stuff like that. I watch a lot of that stuff. And the 80s period of Paul McCartney is pretty much... (laughs) Not well loved. <laughs> Starting with about Pipes of Peace or Tug of War is like the last good one. And then after that, there's like this huge dip where like everybody's just like, oh man, especially pressed to play. One guy was like, more like pressed to stop. Am I right? Because <laughs> he hated it so much. Well, and that's funny. I love <laughs> pressed to play. 
I think there's great songs on that album. There are, yeah, but it's it suffers from the 80s production. It was and, and I get it because it's probably it has to do with that album came out in the middle of me starting to like Beatles and Paul McCartney and John Lennon and all that kind of stuff. So, um I probably went in, into listening to it jaded. And there you go. Well, that's probably why I like Kiss albums from the 80s so much. That's the same thing. Like People don't love 80s Kiss, but that's my favorite time period of them. That's yeah. why I was getting into them. So Flowers in the Dirt comes out. Uh, my Brave Face was played on the radio, and it actually became a pretty famous album. It, it did a lot of good sales. I think it got up to number 25 um, on the Billboard stuff. I mean, of course, it's not like um, Madonna or that kind of stuff, you know, popular with all the... Teeny boppers, but critics liked it, even like it was it was it was pretty well liked at the time. Yeah, critics liked it at the time, and Paul McCartney goes out on a world tour, and we bought tickets. Yes, we did. Uh, Todd and I and our closest five other friends or four other friends, we got on Ticketmaster in the morning of the on sale, and we. Got in there within eight <laughs> minutes of them being opened, and we purchased six or seven tickets. Um, and and we didn't we didn't know that it was going to be in nosebleed section because we we're trying to get so many tickets in one spot. But uh, we got tickets to see Paul McCartney at the Kingdom in Seattle, yeah, which was kind of cool because the previous large tour he actually you know what as a matter of fact he was the first band to play at the Kingdom really. Yes. In Wings? In Wings. Wow. And then we saw him at the Kingdom with Paul McCartney and... Linda from Wings. <laughs> Hamish Stewart. Yeah, Hamish Stewart was from the Average White Band. Yeah. And... Uh, Robbie McIntosh from... From Pretenders. Pretenders. Chris Witten from Edie Brickell. He played drums. Yes, and the Waterboys. And Wicks. And Linda McCartney from Ram. <laughs> the Rams. <laughs> so... um we got to we got tickets for the Kingdom show and we rented a van and all six or seven of us we can't quite remember <laughs> uh we jumped in the van drove up to Seattle went and perused record stores and trying to find records and stuff that uh we couldn't get in Yakima um where we grew up because the record stores were they were okay but they weren't you know like this kind of stuff they had in Seattle right I actually worked in one of the record stores in Yakima, and so did you for briefly. Correct, yeah. I mean, I was in a pretty corporate place, so, you know, we didn't have people that got to order all this weird stuff that they would play in Seattle. You guys probably did. We I did. You had yeah. Alex working there, and he was kind of yeah, yeah. a record collector. but And we could also play whatever we wanted in the store. So if something came in that was new and interesting, we are like, oh, what's this? Let's put it on. Well, I got to play stuff in the store too. I played the uh, Ruddles one time. <laughs> the one, the one that I remember most that came out that we all just loved was Jane's Addiction. Nothing shocking. And that came out around this same time, and that was just oh man. We all, every time we'd put that song on, it would, we'd put it on at closing time, lock the doors, and we'd all be in there rocking out. One time we had mountain song. Yeah. One time we actually there was a button underneath the. Uh, cash register that would if we had somebody break in or trying to rob us we'd just push that and the cops would show up one time we were in there rocking out and one of us accidentally hit the button <laughs> cops showed up and uh oh, they we let them in there was they were like yeah we figured it probably was nothing because you guys were in there rocking out 
So oh, uh, from this album, I had I had a CD single. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I had a CD single from that that was the song Ue le Sole. Yeah, it was from Flowers and Dirt. I have a Paul McCartney tour book from that. I still have mine too. Excellent. I don't have my T-shirt anymore. Do you have yours? Uh, you know, I did buy a T-shirt, didn't I? Yeah, I think we all did. Yeah, I think so. Which is kind of funny because it's not like we had a bunch of money, but no. But yeah, I still have my tour book too. I'll have to. We have an Instagram page now, so I'll have to find it and post a picture of it if I can find it. Cool. So Paul McCartney, "Flowers in the Dirt." I mean, it's it's one of my favorite albums from him. I still do listen to. I listen to it today so I. Um, as I was kind of preparing for this. I love the song "Figure of Eight. Yeah, we got married which has David Gilmore playing guitar on it. He's from Pink Floyd, by the way. The song is great on Flowers in the Dirt, but the song that is on the Tripping the Live Fantastic CD that they released from the tour, that version of We Got Married is incredible. I like the energy of that album. Some of the songs on Flowers in the Dirt that are like you're talking about with the crazy 80s production. The live versions kind of get rid of all that, and they just start. You're talking about tripping the live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's like it has a little more of a rock band energy. Yeah. And also the documentary from the making of the album called "Put It There" has a lot of the band rehearsing for the tour, and so it's you know you're getting the great energy of some of these songs done in a live band feel. Put it there. Yep. which is kind of a, an acoustic type song where Paul plays percussion on his on his knees and hands and put it there. Oh. <laughs> that's right did a bunch of that later with Nigel Godrich yeah and I guess uh, Paul was talking about that that was put it there was kind of he did it in the um, he did it in the style of Buddy Holly Buddy Holly used to do a lot of slapping of his knees and hands and stuff hmm. for percussion in the in the recording studio. Cool. But if you get a chance, I mean, go and listen to it. I know it's it's dated eighties, but it I mean it's not totally terrible. But it does have like you know some keyboard pads on it and and electric drums and that kind of stuff, but not on all of it. Um, and it is it is a great album. What movie did we want to talk about today? Oh, uh, we wanted to uh, talk about Back to the Future from 1985. Classic, perfect movie. Yes, great movie. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Crispin Glover. He's the guy that tried to kick uh, David Letterman in the face. (laughs) And got booted off the show right away. (laughs) Who else is on that? Uh, Leah Thompson. Yes. And she was the person that was in 
Your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> the, her next movie that she did after this was Howard the Duck. Terrible movie. <laughs> Terrible movie. I haven't even got through it. Yeah, good soundtrack. Someday I might. Terrible movie. Famously one of the worst of all times. Also, probably the first Marvel comic movie. Really? Yep. A little fun fact. Even before um, Spider-Man or anything? Before all they started making all these big blockbusters. That was the first one. Uh, we were talking about earlier on one of our podcasts about one of the songs that appears on this movie when you were talking about the wildlife. Yeah, we were talking about Hoffer Teacher and Eddie Van Halen did the soundtrack for a movie called Wildlife. And there's a scene in there's a scene in Back to the Future where Marty goes back to help his dad win over his mom. And uh, he wakes him up in the middle of the night and he's like, here's what you got to do. But he puts these headphones on. He has a Walkman in 1955. He has his Walkman, and he puts in a tape that says Edward Van Halen on it. Puts the headphones on him and cranks it up. Instantly wakes George up. And the music that's on that tape is from the Wildlife soundtrack. Who are you? My name is Darth Vader. We... Occasionally have technical problems on this show, like we actually did tonight. <laughs> we got all the way done with an episode, and then the computer crashed, and we had to do it all over again. And so we're doing it again right now. Um, so that happened again in the Van Halen episode. Actually happened twice in the Band-Aid episode. We had to do that on the third time. <laughs> Hopefully we got that stuff ironed out now. But the point of that story was that I did tell that story on the Hot for Teacher episode, but it was on the earlier take, so it didn't make it to the actual episode. But... I also wanted to thank your brother, Blaine, because he emailed us and told us about that. He actually has a podcast himself. Yeah, he's got it's uh, under the bus, and he does with uh, three other guys. It's actually it's not a podcast. It's it is on YouTube. It's YouTube, right? Right. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a podcast, but it is on YouTube called Under the Bus, and they talk about uh, mainly Van Halen, really, and um, some other things, guitars and that kind of stuff. I mean, I didn't even know that until this whole thing until we started our thing. And it's like, Oh, well we got to have them on sometime. We got to cross pollinate and we got to like help each other out. And that, that'd be super cool. sounds like he'd be a good, good guest on the show. One of the guys that's on that under the bus is, um, a DJ here in Phoenix at the number one, uh, like rock station down here. Oh, cool. And he's on that, which is kind of funny. So yeah, your brother emailed to tell us about that and also told us you can find the wildlife soundtrack available on eBay and stuff. Now it's out there. Not easy to find, but it's out there. So there's a song from that in Back to the Future. <laughs> How to bring it back full circle there. Okay. Okay. All right. So Back to the Future, Marty McFly. He is, if you haven't seen this movie, get out and see it. And I don't I know mean, what geez. in the world you have done in your life <laughs> that you have not seen Back to the Future. But Marty McFly, he... Uh, he, he's friends with a, a scientist uh, who builds a time machine, and he gets kind of kind of funny. But he, uh, the time machine runs off of plutonium, and he stole it from some Libyan terrorists, and he gets shot and killed. And Marty goes into the time machine and goes back to 1955, and he has to find his 
scientist buddy in 1955 to help him get back to 1985. And of course, all kinds of things happen back in the in in fifty five. He meets his parents. His mom falls in love with him. <laughs> Buford J. Tanner Tannen gets uh, a whole bunch of manure all over his car and in his mouth. You know what's funny? You mentioned the uh, Libyan terrorists thing. Ever since nine eleven, that kind of stuff has been taken out of movies for the most part. And they, they don't reference it. So if you see a newer version of, or a newer edit of Back to the Future, that stuff has been pretty much edited out. There's a scene where... Really, like on TV or something? Yeah, yeah. So like wow. whenever Marty says, you're going to be shot by terrorists when you go back. And then they edit it out, and it just says, you're going to be shot. And then Doc says, oh, don't tell me anything. I can't know about the future. But so Marty ends up secretly writing him a letter that says, you will be shot by terrorists when you go back to 1985. But they edit that out too. It just says you will be shot. <laughs> it's like, huh. wow. They just there's just no mention of the terrorist thing. Wow, that's funny. I didn't even know that. Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, the actor. <laughs> then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. Well, the movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Yes. And the soundtrack is. Uh, I can't even remember who does it. Hold on a second. Alan Silvestri. Yes. Didn't even look that up. Boom. <laughs> the music is, is great for it. I didn't even have to look it up. Todd knew. The time machine is in a DeLorean. Um, which is famous for the time jump happens at 88 miles an hour, but DeLorean cars are so famously crappy and slow that they can't go 88 miles an hour normally. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So they had, That's to, funny. they had to fix the, they had to change out all the speedometers in the cars for the movie to make them go up to 95 because they normally go only go up to 85. And even that is pushing the limits of a DeLorean. <laughs> so oh, that's funny. Yeah. Super cool car, famously crappy. But it goes 88 miles an hour and shoots fire out the back in the movie. Well, that that one does. Actually, probably doesn't. They probably just sped up the film. Probably. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Yeah, go go watch that movie again. And, and, and seriously, if you have kids and you have not shown your kids the Back to the Future trilogy, I love number three, the one where they're in the Old West. I think I like number two the best. Oh, that's that's my least favorite. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Different strokes for different folks. There you go. But Back to the Future, 1985, right? Or yes. Is it 86? 85. 85. Back to the Future, 1985. Great movie. Go rent it. Go down to your blockbuster as soon as possible and pick that baby up on VHS. And be kind and rewind. Yes, if you live in Bend, Oregon. <laughs> there you go. You can go to Blockbuster. I forgot a couple of things I came across today as far as extras in the movie. When Marty goes to the restaurant and is playing a video game, there's a couple of little kids that are playing it too. One of them is Elijah Wood. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And one of Biff's um, friends, his sidekicks or whatever, is Billy Zane. <laughs> yes, I knew that. I knew that one, but I didn't know about Elijah I'd Wood. I'd forgotten about that. I didn't, I didn't know about the Elijah Wood thing. Yeah, that's so funny. Pretty random. 
Both have gone on to quite lucrative careers. Yep. All right, so Back to the Future, get a chance, go watch that thing again. Watch all three of them. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Show your kids. Show your spouses. Or your girlfriends. You have more than one spouse, so show them all. Yes. Excellent. So thank you for joining us as we talk about Paul McCartney today. And that's, it is a great album, even though it may seem dated. I think it's a great album. Play that thing in your car. Turn it up. It is recorded pretty good. Yeah. Trevor Horn and Steve Lipson. There you go. Kings of the 80s. Awesome. Well, um, I think we're about cut us off for today. Yeah, we made it all the way through the episode without a computer crash. Hooray. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> oh, my That's God. bad. <laughs> Hopefully we got that solved. I think we did. Yes. So for Tape Heads, I am Blaine signing off, and I will catch you on the flip side. I'm Todd in Portland signing off. Thanks for listening. See you next time. See ya. Oh, yeah, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned in the... Um, the Voices Carry episode, you mentioned the uh, Catherine Wheel thing. Oh, yeah. We were talking about Neil Finn and the Crowded House song. And, and I, you didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it was. Even though I know the song, I don't know what it was. Um, but you said it was like a torture device. And it turns out there were quite, a, they, it was used as one for hundreds of years. <laughs> and there were quite a few different incarnations of it. And you want to hear a couple of them that were my favorites? Sure. <laughs> okay. There was the French one which was basically like a stockade, which they would hang you by your hands and your feet vertically. And then they would have that stockade tied to a wheel. And then either through water or through, you know, horses or whatever, they'd pull the wheel, turn the wheel, and they'd basically pull all your bones apart. (laughs) And they'd leave you hanging there (laughs) in the open air. And then birds would peck at you and you'd die slowly that way. So, good times. And then my ultimate favorite one, there was a ton of these, and I hope I'm getting it right, but I think my favorite one was the Swiss one. You wouldn't have thought there'd be a Swiss one, but that's the one where they they put you down on the ground and they roll over your arms and legs with a cart, and the wheels break your arms in two different places and your legs in two different places, and so you're just lying there like, and then they roll over your spine, break your spine. All this stuff doesn't kill you, by the way. <laughs> it's agonizing, but it doesn't kill you. And so they thread you, they take, take, they thread you, your broken body through the spokes of a wheel, and then they leave you out there to die. What the heck? Who thinks of this I know, stuff? Like, where, how is that even a thing? <laughs> like, uh, uh, Francois, I just created this. I, I have this great idea for a device. Oh, uh, you, you are a genius. You know those guys that are ticking you off? Catherine Wheel. What? Catherine Wheel. Just listen to me. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so I wonder if there ha- that also has another meaning, because in the Crowded House song, the lyric goes, she's got her Catherine Wheels on. Yeah. So that doesn't seem like it would have anything to do with a torture device. I don't know. Maybe it's... I, but, I don't, I've, but I've looked it up, and I don't know. There's nothing else that a Catherine Wheel is. Hmm. Maybe it's not a brand of car wheels, or she's like got a low rider or a rat rod or whatever, and she's cruising around in that with her Catherine wheels on. I think it's just some weird <laughs> songwriting. Well, we're going to have to talk to Neil Finn and uh, we'll get to the bottom of that.
All right. Sounds good.